Welcome everyone to this episode of Green Talks. This podcast is aimed at sharing perspectives of researchers from the University of Twente and their sustainable research progress to a wider audience. We believe that more attention should be given to the sustainable impact they make and will make with many of their projects in development. That's why we made this podcast for you, the knowledge seekers. Now please lay back and enjoy. I'm Thomas Sechey, a Greenhub officer from the University of Twente and your host for today's episode. I'm joined by Nando Tolbum, who has been part of the UT community for over a decade. He completed his bachelor's and master's in applied physics and is currently finalizing his PhD. During this time, he became increasingly interested in energy and CO2 emissions. This led him to join forces with two other students and start working on an energy data and carbon footprint reporting startup called Realized. Beside his research and entrepreneurial endeavors, he lectures and helps students and others to identify energy-saving potentials and advise them in the current energy crisis. Welcome, Nando. Thank you. Thank you for accepting our invitation. And how are you feeling today? Great. Awesome. Like the weather, I must say. <laughs> It helps. Now, more than ever, students are eager to hear from researchers like you about topics such as energy transition or sustainable development. Before we begin our in-depth conversation, I would like to ask you an icebreaker question. What is your most unsustainable guilty pleasure? Uh, well, I like technology, so I uh, I like to have some gadgets here and there. So um, um, maybe a nice set of speakers or, uh, or enjoy watching a movie on a good TV. But uh, again, the challenge is to uh, find stuff secondhand and uh, if stuff is depreciated or old, uh, make sure you recycle it well. Yeah, I see, I see. But I, I heard you do also a lot to, to compensate for it, right? Could you elaborate on this? Um, so n- not on a personal level, but um, more on my entrepreneurial side and also a little bit on, on my research. So um, I try to help students, especially currently, um, on the energy crisis they are facing, uh, giving them some insights, um, encouraging them mostly because that's also very much needed. Um, And hopefully with that I can make a bigger impact than I could do as an individual. Yeah, this is really great and this is really something we need. Um, Let's say, what would you advise me as an individual to do about my, my electricity and gas in these times? So... I think it always starts with insight and this poses a challenge for many people because they do not have insight into their energy consumption initially. Um, The biggest impact you can have is changing your behavior, but your behavior is often driven by the insight that you have. So in general, I try to encourage people to get data um, and with data, you can make data-driven policies or insights that with some cost attached to it gives you insight in for instance a return on investment on a heat pump or another measure that has more impact but on long term um, the challenging thing you see currently is that a lot of people making very hasty decisions um, households in the netherlands buying petroleum stoves or putting uh, 
little candle lights in their living room, but that that is not making an impact on the long term, and it's even not a great idea on the short term either. So it it is keeping calm in a crisis and making decisions that have a lasting impact. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's very interesting to hear. Well, do you think in that case that this energy crisis that we are currently in is uh, a chance for sustainable change, perhaps for us, or is it just a boundary that others feel like? Well, the knife cuts on two sides. Um, I mean, the gas price is always driven by a supply and demand curve. So um, when the supplies go down, the price goes up and some people uh, need to save or simply they cannot afford it anymore. The same is what we see in industry currently. Um, and this is hurting our economy, but it's also hurting some groups of people uh, in particular. At the same time, it encourages uh, another part um, of our society to become more sustainable or to be more considerate of their energy use. The question only is, if the prices go down again, how much will we return to our previous behavior? Uh, we've seen this with COVID and the newspapers were full of, oh, the world's never going to be the same. Well, the world was going to be the same. And um, partly, I think it will be the same after the energy crisis. But the energy crisis will last for not only this moment, but for the coming years um, is my current uh, insight. And based on that, yeah, our government is already accelerating the sustainability transition. And those projects take more years and were already in, pl in place before the energy crisis. And that is hardly going to change either. Um, so in my opinion... Yes, this energy crisis will encourage some individuals to take more measures, but um, a lasting behavioral change is challenging. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the government, the Dutch government. What do you? What is, in your opinion, um, an optimal future for energy production on a macro level? Well. I think always first is to put a boundary between electricity and energy. We often have, a, and I always use Pareto's principle, huh? and so of all our energy consumption, 20% is electricity. And of that 20%, currently, nah, we are slightly above now, but 20% is renewable. So mm -hmm. only 20% of the 20% is renewable at the moment. Well, there's a lot of discussion on what's renewable and considering biomass or uh, nuclear. And um, we have a very good vision on the technologies that are needed to change our electricity um, system. But at the meantime, we also have the entire energy transition. And this also includes uh, uh, all the fuels that we consume for different purposes. In industry, this is often more challenging. Um, it's in making concrete, it is in flying, it is in every every part of our society, energy is one of our primary consumption right. tools. Yep. And um, especially in the Netherlands also, are we discussing a lot of taking residential households off gas um, that makes what we discuss the heating transition or how do we heat our houses. And that already is a more significant consumption in terms of energy than that we, what we consume in electricity. Right. Um, and this um, is also reflected in your bill, so to say. So talking about what you personally can do about your, your energy consumption or how you can face this energy crisis. In general, only a quarter of your bill is electricity and three quarters is gas. And this 
should intuitively tell you that most of your, the energy that you consume is actually in the other product. Well, as a notion by flicking switches or turning on devices, you are far more in control of your electricity consumption than you are in your heating consumption because your heating consumption is, of course, building limited. And so extrapolating this to our entire society means that it is far more challenging to do the entire energy transition than doing the electricity transition. Yeah, I see. I, I think your research also relates a lot to uh, how you could improve household heating, right? How can you make it even more efficient and uh, and help people save money, as, as you said, with their bills? Well, my personal PhD um, is not on that topic. It's uh, relative... Uh, it's w- I make fridges, uh, but for very low temperatures for applications uh, such as satellites um, and other uh, science projects. Um, but a fridge is nothing more than a heat pump in the other direction. So that uh, luckily gives me some knowledge on thermodynamics, which helps me to understand these principles. But at the same time, we have also seen a spin-off from our group that uh, tried to apply our technology in a residential type of heat pump and um, there directly you see that the relation of a university to our societies that the technologies that we develop here there will be some entrepreneurial student or phd that thinks hey i can apply this technology in a different way and it might benefit society differently and find a use case for that and i think that's very beautiful yeah good good that you mentioned the university as well because you have been around for quite some time. You have seen how the university developed in the past 10 years, how it has been shaping our life, how is it becoming more sustainable. So uh, let's take it specific in the case of the energy crisis that is happening right now. So what is our university currently doing or what is it that could do to, to take better action on the energy crisis? Okay, it's a, it's a challenging question in the sense that there is a, uh, there has already been a lot going on, and the university is a, a ship that uh, is a steamboat, not a not a sailing yacht. Uh, so it it cannot maneuver and uh, change course according to the wind, but it just keeps on going. And um, the uh, facility management services, though those are mostly in control of buildings and uh, sustainability projects. They were working on a lot, they are working on a lot, and they continue to be working on a lot. The university, in that sense, cannot adapt very quickly to an energy crisis. Um, The part that they can do, or what the users of a university, so the researchers and the students can do, is change their behavior accordingly. And this is the biggest saving potential, in my opinion, which um, hopefully will be tapped more into into the future. But again, this is challenging because they are users and they're uh, they're more more likely the clients of a university, so they should have some freedom in their um, movements and their behavior. Right. This is also how you're trying to make your impact, I suppose, your sustainable impact uh, through um, through the clients, as you might say, the students and the other researchers that you can get in touch and try to encourage them. Well. Th- I mean, the most beautiful example of this is uh, the fact that we have a campus uh, gives us a lot of benefits. Uh, so I'm comparing ourselves to other universities at the moment. So they, uh, in the Netherlands, they have been developed for the last three, four hundred years, and we are relatively young. Uh, that makes us uh, 
more agile or that gives us some benefits in the sense that uh, on the campus we have a, a district heating network that's right. fed by wa- waste heat. That means that our gas consumption is incredibly low. Um, that means that we are a little bit less hurt by the energy crisis compared to other universities. Um, we had to change the gas contract because uh, we were uh, at Gazprom and there were some laws changed, so we had to change that a little bit earlier, but only three months earlier than we would have had to anyway. Um, but So this district heating network is a nice example, so we are not using a lot of gas, it makes it more sustainable. But at the same time also we are, I think, one of the only universities that's very public about their energy consumption, or at least in the sense that we have all this data online for students to access, um, you can do uh, data visualization, you can do machine learning on this, as has been done in education uh, in the university uh, already. And because of this web page, uh, we can also have feedback uh, and insights because there's the problem with generating data, that's very easy, <laughs> but analyzing data is very challenging. So this, uh, this is very helpful uh, to the facility management services, for instance. Indeed. Do you also have students who are currently working on this? As for myself, uh, I also had such a module when we were learning data visualization. And now that you are talking about this, I see how my, my student mates would enjoy doing such a thing. Because with this, you're also making a good impact on your campus, gaining experience and also being more sustainable. Well, uh, I only guide students on my own research topics. Um, but um, yeah, we do get a uh, lot of questions from others using it. And, and yeah, that's, I think, really encouraging to continue on this. Yeah, great. So now we heard how, how do you contribute and how does your research also make a difference? Um, your entrepreneurial endeavors. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, your startup realized is trying to uh, work with institutions and try to help them uh, realize their sustainable development, right? Yeah. So uh, three, oh, three years ago, these two other students, Olaf Halstra and Diederik Bakker, they uh, they study IT and they um, they were developing this energy data platform mostly because they knew how to translate data into uh, a, a nice uh, da- a dashboard. And um, my housemate, Olaf, and I always were discussing a lot and I was doing a lot on energy in my in, in our student house. And um, yeah, that, that was, of course, left potential there. I mean, there was a, a lot of information. I wanted to do something with this. And we started thinking how to continue on this. And so energy is the largest source of carbon emissions at the university. So we're, we're looking in, okay, can we then just not translate this into our, the carbon emissions of the university, uh, put this uh, and visualize this as well. And while we're at it, we'll do the rest of the carbon emissions as well. Mm-hmm. Well... That was a challenge. Uh, we had to learn a lot, but that was also very interesting. It's about uh, procurement processes. It's about um, flying, traveling. It's all the, uh, they're divided into so-called scopes. So um, I see. It, it's the, the, the discussion on where CO2 is admitted uh, for your organization. And um, yeah, luckily the facility management services at the university said, okay, we're go- we, we, we believe in this vision on being more transparent about this data. So um, I think we are, um, as a university, have a leading role in that sense that we are very open about our CO2 emissions, um, where they originate from. Um, and uh, of course, 
I strongly believe in data-driven policies. So um, there is, of course, value in uh, the discussion, like what measures make impact and what not. And uh, this is this is the tool we can use to assess what makes impact and what not. And that, that is, for me, very valuable as a physicist that we um, on, not only look at the PR value of a measure, like uh, some solar panels at the entrance might look good, but uh, do they make impact? Right. And to make relative assessments on what is useful and how can we distribute the limited funds that we as a university have and make sure we have the most impact. Yeah, I also see how this could be valuable for not only our university and other institutions, but also for organizations or maybe even companies. So have your startup uh, worked with other companies that ask you to do something similar um, of this matter? Yeah, we've done it for companies here on the... Canis Park, uh, it helps <laughs> in the region. Um, but uh, it's always a challenge whether you want to do a carbon footprint for your PR value or you want to have a vision as an organization that can uh, actually make a change. And um, yeah, definitely the university has a, a societal role that's different than, than companies have in that sense. Right. Um, these ideas are quickly being uh, surpassed um, by implementations of even further uh, technologies like people uh, combining it with uh, with life cycle analysis and you can add more to this all the time but that makes it challenging i mean more data gives more noise meaning more analysis needed so um, where we are currently with the university um, we are focusing on a few main topics set up by the board um, flying waste uh, those kind of measures which are relatively visible and at the same time, behind the scenes, we are focusing on the things that are often very boring, uh, mostly energy, which is very visible to some people, like uh, where the lights are turned on or, or that kind of stuff. But then the question is, what's impact? And that's what we focus on. Yeah, I see. Now we could hear really the boundaries such a company or such an idea uh, could go with. And also the topics that you mentioned will be covered later on in the Green Talks, such as waste and transportation. So now I would like to ask you about being a researcher. So now you are here, you're one of the few that actually really actively look for a visibility on campus. But how do generally students perceive researchers on campus? How do you how do you view this? Well, I, I'm quite the exception because I still live with one foot in a student house and my other foot as a researcher. So that gives me a, a lot of flexibility to... Uh, yeah, to... Sh- what I've seen mostly in the last years is that I I now become aware of the growth I have made as a student and I see that in others. And that's, uh, I think, very rewarding to see um, in, in roommates, but also in students. And um, the perception of them to a researcher is often very challenging to uh, explain that, um, and I didn't know either when I started, is that, yeah, university is, is education, but it's also research. And then the question is, what is research? And um, that depends a lot on the educational program you're in. I mean, for physics, it's very obvious. Um, for management and operations, it's it's much more limited, but it's still there. And um, of course, throughout your education, you meet researchers because they are often your, your su- supervisors and teachers in, in various roles. And I think in the bachelor's, it is not that very relevant. Um, but but after that, you will, during your bachelor thesis, it will start to 
all come together and it will help you to shape your master's directions as well. So the, I, I think it's a very natural process in that sense. Yeah, I see. So um, <laughs> from, from our view as well, uh, we really see them knowledgeable, right? But um, there is a lack of visibility and uh, perhaps maybe you can tell a few tips on how could they come over as exciting and cool perhaps. Well, the, <coughs> the challenge of making your research attractive is I think um, one that's becoming more aware in society nowadays. Uh, we have to, for instance, um, we had a, a researcher um, working on the national scientific agenda, which was a collaboration, especially to see what society wants university to focus on. Um, and I think, yes, it, it's always a debate. How visible should a researcher be? At, 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 at one moment, I want to live in my ivory tower and do my research and be very um, secluded. That gives me the opportunity to work on what I want. And at the other moment, yeah, funding agencies often now look for the fact that you have a track record that is very public. Um, but... Uh, the downside of this is often that uh, fundamental research or also researchers that have don't have these qualities um, are are left behind. And um, well, then we can talk a lot about recognition and rewards and how are you going to value different qualities. And um, if you want to have a s scientific career, you're still very much focused on your um, academic work, um, not necessarily education or outreach. And um, yeah, those things are shifting and moving but are not necessarily in my power um, so what I'm doing is just from I, I, I've not been doing this in my entire PhD like only like the last two years I think I've come to the point that I want to have a role in society as well um, because I think I can contribute and make more impact in that sense and that's that's what I'm really looking for I see so how is it that you right now connect with students without being, let's say, a full-time professor? Well, I think a full-time professor has even less time to connect with students, only the two hours that he is giving a lecture. Um, the role of a PhD student is often to uh, do, uh, do the working lectures or uh, homework assignments, and uh, especially the bachelor thesis and the master thesis are under our uh, daily supervision, not on the final supervision. Um, that gives us uh, some outreach and help and and trying to pull those students into research, of course, but also help them uh, if they're not looking for a research position. Um, and my personal outreach to students, yeah, I'm, I'm so focused on energy nowadays and I'm trying to share what data I have and I'm um, giving a lecture on student energy crisis. Um, I think in hindsight, it has been not the greatest moment because just after the summer and it's still warm and people are not very focused on this, um, but I'm tr trying to pull all the strings I have to inform people in whatever way I can. Yeah, and indeed, this is this is a very important topic. And I suppose as we're getting closer to winter, uh, even to students, it will become a very eager and hot topic even more and more. So we're also looking to explore this topic further in, in Green Talks, um, perhaps using, using your help as well as you're very knowledgeable on this topic. So what your advice would be, let's say, to researchers that do not engage that much with students or, as you, as you said, are up in their um, ivy tower and uh, cannot really connect with students? Well, you need to tap in what drives you personally. 
And um, the question on why am I doing research? And also the question is why uh, do I want to still be in research, but also find a role uh, and develop myself differently? Um, is how can a researcher really engage students, but also what students do you want to engage? Do you want to have a broad audience? Do you want to have a limited audience with a larger interest? Um, I do not feel that like uh, you're working on social media or you're trying to um, find other ways to connect. Um, I think that's very challenging. And it's also the, the question on what role should the organization support you if you desire that opportunity um, or um, what is your personal uh, time you can invest in this. And this is always challenging because I think most people working at the university are always stressed for time anyway, um, especially with and teaching and education. And if you then also still have to do uh, outreach and at the same time find money for grants and research, um, I think that's just a, a general discussion on workload. And then if you want to ask this from a researcher as well, I think you only find the ones that are personally driven in this direction that really put in the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I see. I, this was also a topic that was discussed here at the university last May during the perspective talks. There, there again, uh, questions were risen about <clears throat> the visibility of researchers or professors and how much time or capacity they can allocate to, to actually their brand management, as we might call it. So what do you feel like, how could the university help with this? What kind of tools or support do you feel like could really solve this issue of um, being more visible? And yeah, how, how do you view this? I, f I find it challenging to define tools. Uh, it's also, um, I, I think the debate of should a professor have or actually have this role? I mean, if a, if a professor is validated for his scientific contribution or a researcher in general, um, that contribution should be significant for their career and to make their career on this basis. Um, it's the individuals that want to uh, spend less time on research or less time on education and have um, a societal role. And if the university uh, encourages that, that should also be supported in a structure that financially and um, based on workload makes sense. Um, and this is the discussion on recognition. And uh, I think then you should be able to value this. Only the challenge is we value scientists by their publications and the impacts they make and not, not necessarily on education and especially not on outreach. Um, so um, that's what I'm also staking my career on. It's like if I want to do more outreach, can I still be a scientist? Um, th this is debatable for, for me personally. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that an organization as the university or any other can support me in this sense. How do you measure uh, the impact that you actually make with your publications? In this case, let's say the sustainable impact or the change that you are making on the world and on your surrounding. Um, for me personally, this is very questionable. Of course, it becomes more challenging the more fundamental you go. Um, for instance, we have a professor in uh, in electronics engineering, uh, Bram Nauta. He devised a certain electronic scheme that saved a significant amount of power in mobile phones. It's in every phone you use currently. Um, that has made a very... Uh, it is a very uh, 
it's not a minor invention, but it looks very imp- impactless. But it has changed the world around me, uh, around us, and if it is in every device. So I- even if it's at one tenth of a watt times seven billion people, it's still a significant contribution. So measuring impact, I mean, still if you do fundamental research on physics, chemistry, biology, uh, whatever field, your it might be picked up twenty years and you, later, and you win a Nobel Prize. And that is the challenge on how can you uh, do outreach for such research. I mean, you can always say i'm going to develop a new solar cell with this new material but you have to try a billion things and maybe none of them work and so you um but you're trying to sell this as i'm going to find the new next material and i'm going to change the world Uh, so this is i think always the discussion between the intrinsic motivation of a scientist and how is a society we can support the people that are in our opinion intelligent enough that they should be allowed free play to do with societal money because that's at the end what we have at the university and to do uh, to have the liberty to to do research which we consider um, to have impact at some moment in time but that some moment is a is a, a time period which is often hard to define I see I see I, I also see how this kind of outreach could really help and you know support you with the ideas ideas that you you come up because again you really try to serve the public um, but perhaps now it's a good time to summarize all the key takeaways that we have talked so far uh, it's great that you also mentioned a lot about your research and and how sustainable and the outreach that we had so far but let, let's get back to the energy crisis mitigation uh, that you that you mentioned me and you talked about how you are helping our community the public currently with the energy data and uh, co2 reporting system that you created first for the university and uh, how cmf really approved this and you you went towards um, a bigger goal three and a half years ago and uh, now you're working with with uh, companies with in, in kenny spark and trying to make them more sustainable trying to bring them towards sustainable development and uh, you also mentioned how on a macro scale the governments are trying to to pull all the strings during the the energy crisis and how this could perhaps um, change later in the future as well then uh, we talked about how and what is our university doing right now uh, it's good to hear that actually the the footprint of our university is not that big. Like for me as a student, this is also something in which I do not have much insight, or at least it's not something that is uh, is given on a plate for us. As you mentioned, also this kind of public data available. Well, it's it's all handed to you on a silver platter at u20.nl slash sustainability. And I find it always, um, we get a lot of feedback and information from people, but like, from here on out, you can find so much uh, on what's currently being done and the, the data on energy, the data on carbon footprints. It's it's all there. But um, are people um, really, they just want to say something or are they willing to look into it? And at and, and this point, I'm, I'm um, be- and we can talk about virtue signaling, but I'm, I'm o- often looking, okay, but uh, can you ascertain the data and do you want to really look into it and see how this impacts you as an individual and how we as an organization are doing and this immediately reflects on the energy crisis as well i mean um, are you looking to the government for help or are you initially 
getting into action yourself and reflecting on yourself what you can do. And of course, the government has to play a role in information um, and the municipality is trying this as well. And the amount it, I'm so surprised that even for these organ, even for the government or for a municipality, it's very hard to reach the people that they want to reach. Although these people are looking up to them, there's like o- there's always a very, it's a it's a two way street, but they're not driving past each other, but they're driving in different directions. And um, and the same holds for the university. We we have a good information website. The information is available, but it's not reaching you while you are looking for it. So, um, to to how are we going to break this uh, impasse or yeah this uh, this problem that we're having? And um, this is part of it, I would say. How do you feel like we as students or the future generations can help this two-way street uh, go even smoother or yeah, make it more efficient in a way that information comes to us? Well, um, Google skills are, f- are, are first. I mean, it, it, this is... Um, uh, ask yourself the question, not why is something being written, but what is the, the cause and effect relation? Uh, and always try to delve one step deeper i mean that look for the root cause of the of the problem um the gas price is high why is the gas price high why where can i track it and then think ahead okay what implications will this have for me personally for us as a society and then see where you can fit and also what skills do you have where could you make a contribution or an impact that is more significant than the one that you could do only as an individual I see. It's always such a pleasure to talk with a researcher. You always learn something. And uh, I I, I miss that a lot. I mean, I have really, um, I might even say friends that are doing research and are also teaching me. And it's it's always a great pleasure to to hear about things from their perspective. Though I still feel like we are now students in in the middle um, of our lifetime when we really get a lot of knowledge about things. And uh, there is just not enough. You could always learn so much more from the researchers during this kind of uh, talks, I must say. Well, I think, uh, and this is more classical university approach, yeah, like or an American system that you would get educated in all fields first, and then you pick your uh, speciality. And um, in our current system, we are f- we are diving into our speciality relatively young, or. I mean that's debatable, but um, and then of course during your bachelor you always have your minor period, and and that's where you can really it it should not you should not choose something that's very easy to yourself, but something that hey that is going to challenge me intellectually as well, and and that's what you're looking for, like to 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 discuss in an entirely different subject on a knowledge level with the support of researchers that are there then guiding you in a different topic and that gives you the liberty to develop yourself personally indeed this this is perfectly the case with me right now as well as i'm currently doing my minor or i just uh, nearly ending my first minor and uh, yeah I, i can see how how some students look for easier minors than others but there is always a drive that I can see with them that they want to do something of their interest that was maybe not included in their study program. So it's it's also great that we talked about this. But for now, I would like to wrap it up here. It was great to, to talk with you and um, thank you for coming here. Thank you for, thank you for your time. Uh, and uh, Enjoy the week. 
for everyone. Thank you for being here and uh, stay tuned for our next episode.